the black cats I talk to, it's funny. Like I'll tell them some of the stuff I'm doing and they're like, Oh, I'm so glad you're out there saving all of us. I'm like us, man, you're the, you're the adversary. <laughs> I'm coming after you. On this episode of the introverted iconoclast, we welcome my dear friend and fellow rebel, Robert Hansen, otherwise known by his real name, Arsnake. Not only a prolific hacker, but also a charismatic speaker, entrepreneur, and consummate professional, Arsnake has forged a legendary reputation within the cybersecurity community. We managed to get into some pretty intense topics on this one, from offensive cyber tactics to evading foreign national intelligence services. And we lay the groundwork for clearly several more conversations. This is one of my favorites by far, and I trust you will enjoy. Our snake. What's up, brother? Hey, how are you? <laughs> I'm great, man. I'm great. I'm uh, I'm smiling because we were chatting before this thing started recording and two guys from intelligence and cybersecurity sitting on a podcast together. Who would have thunk? Probably a bad idea, you know. Right. I, don't, I don't, maybe we shouldn't do this. Come <laughs> from this, man. No good. <laughs> Yeah, but I'm super glad to have you here, man. And uh, it's funny; it's kind of a long time coming. And um, you know, we've yeah, we've been talking about this for a while. We have, and it's really serendipitous because we didn't talk to each other about starting our podcast, and then all of a sudden, no. magically, boom, you had yours, and I was like, "Dude, really? Look at this!" And I think like this <laughs> really true. early rendition of this. And, uh, and it's super cool, man. But you've done an amazing job, dude. I got to tell you, I know you're talking you too. You Thank too. you. It's yeah, been a blast. Very, very proud of you, man. This is, it's, I know what an undertaking it is. And so good job. It is. Yeah. And for guys like us that normally, you know, are up for adventure and challenge, this is a whole new breed. Yeah. Uh, agreed. I've so. actually stayed away from the security stuff too. And mine, um, I know you, yeah. you're focused more on it than I am. Um, so I'm, a little bit. I'm kind of, I'm going to, I'm curious to see how your podcast evolves, whether it's going to stay security, if you're going to, yeah get out more further and further from there or you know we'll see it's, we'll see it's interesting yeah absolutely i'm really yeah i'm really impressed that you did because i think that was my goal to in a lot of ways to say look i'll weave in elements of security into the conversation but i don't want to make it about it because you know there's some really great ones out there that do a great job like you know raf you know raf lost sure. does down the security oh, yeah. rabbit hole I've been great, on that great like three or four times now yeah me too like, man i feel like i'm like sort of an informal like like host now at this point like yeah. <laughs> you should start paying me right <laughs> we should start protesting damn it right <laughs> yeah no i'm with you uh but yeah no i'm with you with you on that and it's funny because you're you're totally right part of what i think took me down the security path a little more was being a guest on some of these other podcasts. Like, I think I sent you the link to Jordan Harbinger, who is mm -hmm. pretty awesome. He does a really good, he's quite you, a mentor. You actually know him, right? I mean, it's not just yeah. a, yeah, he's a friend yeah. of his, right? Yeah. 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 Serendipitously, because I actually invited him to be on mine and he agreed. I'm like, oh my gosh, this guy's agreeing to be on my brand new podcast. Cool. You know, and mm -hmm. It's cool to get friends and, and people like that, but it's really great when you get someone that's somewhat more of a, a you know, in this world that is willing to come on. How and, did you meet him out of curiosity? Found him on a platform called, it was either one of the two. It was either Guestio or Podmatch, if you're familiar with either of those. Mm -hmm. And I went, look, you know, the minute I started this podcast, I'm like, how am I going to get guests 
beyond people I know, like yourself and others. And I was like, well, this is interesting. And it seemed like a marketplace where there were podcasts platforms and and guests and that you would match them and it would have a little bit of like an algorithm to sort of certain per, it's keyword matching i mean let's be honest sure. and yeah. i found him based on uh his like counts and i was like wow this guy's prolific and i hadn't heard his podcast before so i did my little bit of recon and i listened to one podcast of his before i actually said oh yeah i gotta get this guy and it was one about this criminal named jolo I don't know if you know anything about this. And this is some Malaysian, you know, kid that essentially ganked 4.5 billion from a sovereign wealth fund in the Emirates and Malaysia and basically spent it like a rock star, you know, bought like Kim Kardashian, a Lambo and hired Paris Hilton to hang out with him in nightclubs in LA. And that was where the money was going, by the way. And sure. so I'm sure Emirates thrilled about the use of the funds. You know? Of course, of course. And he, and he had this, this investigative reporter on it. I'm like, this is good. And, and he was a great interviewer. He really got the, he interviewed the reporter in such a way that I just was hooked. And I'm hmm. going to be very honest when I tell you this, dude, I didn't even listen to a podcast before I started doing one. So I'm bad. Really? Not one. ever. Not, Not really. one. You just jumped right in. <laughs> yeah, I, like, I don't know what the hell this is all about. A mic and a headset. We'll just see what happens. Well, I, I got to say, you, you do have a, a style about you that I haven't seen in other podcasts, which I like. Oh, cool. um, it's, you, it seems, uh, especially the first handful of episodes I listened mm -hmm. to, was uh, very intimate. It felt like it was really just about you. And right. that's good because the audience has to get to know you and you're an interesting oh, yeah. guy. So it's worth it's worth a listen, you know? Well, same yeah. same to you, man. That's, that's one, of the, one of the reasons I'm super excited about this episode because you and I are the old guard. We've been at this for a long time, you know, at least in our uh -huh. professional capacity, right? And yes. what I really, really like about, and speaking about us again, kind of singing our praises here, but you're one of those guys that has written the book on things and now there's the, the 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 fundamentals are based on things that you tried and experimented early in your life which i think is fascinating i, mm -hmm. I remember hearing your trailer for your podcast and you get into a little bit of, for people that don't know who you are dude you've been involved in what thousands of engagements breaking yeah. in or 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 the or the back ends of breaking into thousands of things at a time yeah <laughs> and, and you know now this is for the mainstream they just think it's magical dude they have no idea how we do this kind of thing uh and you're you're a particularly unique and capable individual in this in this space there's plenty of people that that do penetration testing and vulnerability assessment but you're some yeah. of the you're you're old guard again you're someone that designed and built a lot of the the things that people kind of consume assume is just the standard today. Um, yeah, what none the of that stuff existed when I started. <laughs> I, know, I mean, you know, the question I get, which is funny, I never get to ask it. What the fuck made you do this? <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I think I, I watched a lot of TV when I was a kid. Um, yeah. So, you know, war games and, you know, that kind of stuff, the sneakers. And so yeah. I, I always thought it was kind of interesting, like mm -hmm. generally speaking, sort of interesting. I, I didn't have like a, like an insane passion for it. There was a computer in my house because my dad was an engineer and, you know, he was not a security guy at all, but, you know, just this sort of around. Um, but I think when I started hanging out with some of my more nefarious friends in high school, yeah. I started realizing that they were able to do like credit card theft fraud right. uh, and actually make a pretty good living doing it. And um, 
And they, I mean, they were doing all kinds of terrible stuff back then. And I mean, I was around, I didn't really partake very much in any of that stuff that they were doing. Right. Uh, I do remember climbing a telephone pole and clipping in so they could make free phone calls, but That's we awesome. didn't have anyone to, we didn't have anyone to call. So we didn't stay yeah. out of jail. Uh, but it really wasn't until college was really when I kind of clicked the, the timer is when I started in security mm-hmm. and, um, my dad had bought me this book called the secrets of a super hacker by the nightmare. And it was the cheesiest thing ever by today's standards, like really bad, like how to fish people and you know, stuff yeah. like that. But, but I really took it seriously. I'm like, huh, I feel like I can do every single thing in this book. Um, but also there's gotta be so much more. Right. And I, when I was in college, I just, I just got, into the idea of the fact that I could build software for the first time. I'm like, I didn't know that I could really do that. I mean, before it is all like these kind of whizzy wigs, like hypercards and stuff like that, which was not really right. programming, but, but it kind of sort of seemed like you were programming. Right. But this, on the other hand, like very first thing I ever wrote was a Trojan horse. Wow. And, uh, and I was just curious if I could steal people's passwords. I wasn't really particularly interested in what I would do with them, but I was yeah. more like, could it, could it, would it work? Um, and then the very first thing I ever broke into was a bank. Um, and that, which really Park. wasn't saying much because the security back then was like even more, more laughable than it is today. Uh, and it just sort of started spiraling. Like I started writing tools and then yeah. I, I had this little like forum that I built. It was garbage. It was called like our snakes hacking corner. And, That's- uh, and it was horrible, absolutely horrible, but it taught me things because people would ask me questions like, well, how do I do that? I'm like, I don't know. So I go do a bunch of research and figure it out. And I'm like, oh, wow, that, that is, that's how it works. And I'd write up this kind of explanation, how it worked. And it just forced me to get good really quickly. Right. And then from there, I just started building hacking websites, uh, like web fringe was the, uh, well, our snakes, uh, hacking corner was the 134th website, hacking website on the internet at the time. Uh, and the reason I know that is because uh, we, their web rings were how people kept in touch with one another uh, yeah. because search engines did not work very well. Mm-hmm. And so I was the 134th uh, site on there. But the problem is w- those web rings would always break because like enough sites would go offline, especially hacking sites. They're always up and down oh God, yeah. that you just couldn't get around the web ring anymore. Um, and so I, uh, I said, okay, well, that sucks. So I invented uh, webfringe.org. Um, Webfridge.com, webfridge.com rather, um, sure. .org was the uh, web ring. Webfridge.com was a top 100 list, which is self-healing. So if you're not sending traffic to the top 100 list, you fall off. So we right. know that you're not, no one should go to your website anymore. And, and that is when I really got good at web application security because every single hacking site on earth was trying to hack me to get higher in the rankings. Uh, yep. <laughs> like, all of the hackers. Uh, and, and it was great because like, it was sort of a cat and mouse game. I'd kind of give them clues on how you might be able to hack it. And so they were just like pummeling me with traffic during certain times of day, because that's when the algorithm kicked off. And like, it was was great. Like it was, I learned a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. And it just grew and grew and grew. And I did all kinds of crazy stuff. And yeah, man, I've just, I guess I've been doing it for 27 years and Never really looked back. I became a good guy along the way. Um, yeah. I think I, I started EHAP, Ethical Hackers Against Pedophilia, and we had one of the largest awesome. buses, busts of uh, of uh, child pornographers, at the biggest at the time. I think um, nothing was bigger than what we did at that time. Now, now innocent image divisions will take down 100 at a time. What was we that? Took down- like what, what year was that? Ballpark. Oh, let's see. Probably... 
97, I'm going to guess yep. something like that. That makes, that um, makes sense. Yep. Yeah. And so our biggest, our bust was, I think 37 people or something like that. Um, well, amazing and, at the time. Yeah. For the time it was off the charts. And actually I was the one who broke that case as a matter of fact. Um, uh, some, I was walk, I was looking at some forum and some guy, everything's all encrypted and stuff. You can't really tell what's going on, but, but sure. the metadata is still there. So you can kind of generally figure out what's happening, especially like the titles of things. You can sort of glean what would be in the message. Right. But every once in a while, these noobs would join and people would be talking to them and explaining how to the forum works and how to get encrypted and how to you know protect yourself. It was a, it was a training center. In fact, it was called Pedo U, uh, Pedophile University. Mm. And, uh, and, but one of the guys is like, hey, you're, you probably live down the street from me. Hell, you probably live next door to me. Ooh. And I'm like, how the hell would he know that? There's nothing, there's nothing in his words that would explain that. Then I realized the IP address. Like he, this guy had been proxying around or whatever. He was probably just one or two IPs off and that just blew the case open. So, Oh man, that's wild. Yeah. Well, that's really cool. And it's funny because I had a very similar conversation with someone not too long ago about, you know, when did you make the transition from bad guy to good guy? I'm like, well, I was never a bad guy. Um, you know, and I, I think you know this about me. I started in a completely different way than you did. Um, I found my way closer to your world, which is I started in corporate Intel and I was, mm -hmm collecting intelligence on behalf of my client, as you probably can imagine. Mm -hmm. Now, the beauty of it is I was doing it overseas. I was in Dubai, I was in London, Paris, places where I could have more latitude and things like war driving and wirelessly hacking into things was pretty much wild west, almost mm -hmm. still like it is today. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, then was really, really free and no one knew what they were doing. And uh, when I shifted into the counter Intel space, that's when I met guys like yourself and others that I'm like, oh my God, there's a whole world of people here mm -hmm. that really know how to maneuver the system. I was more of a social engineer and a human guy originally, uh, and then found my, my way into InfoSec and cyber. But when I met people like yourself and God, I remember Loft and MOD and mm -hmm. CDC guys back then, and I met some of them to help facilitate some of the goals of my my team or my project. I'm like, these are wizards, bro. These are incredible. <laughs> you know, it's it what I like to liken it to is magicians. And I and yeah. I mean it I mean it in the literal sense of an actual magician where they're yeah. not really there's not really magic there. Right. But they know enough about how things work yeah. that <clears throat> from your perspective, it seems like there's just no way that's possible, or like you can't even fathom how this all occurred, but it's just like a million little tiny tricks. And if you just got them all memorized and you have, you know, the tools necessary, you know, I have a computer with the right software, just like they have yeah. something hidden up their sleeve. Yep. It seems magic, but it really isn't. It's just a lot of knowledge. Totally right. And it's funny because over the years, it's repeated itself over and over. And I think you and I would probably, we'll probably get into this over the course of the interview, how nothing much has changed. I mean, I hate no. to say that people, people, you know, have to, you know, I'll get these conversations and they're like, man, it's so incredibly deeply technical now and security must be really advanced. And I'm like, you know what? It's still a gigantic door with a moat and a certain knock and that's it. And there's mm -hmm. an insider threat that gets in through a Trojan horse, just like the first thing you ever built amazingly. Mm -hmm. yep. And it hasn't changed. I mean, it's, it's, it's morbid. I don't mean to take this down a dark path so quickly, but man, you know, <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, and and it's funny because that's been the theme of a lot of the conversations as of late, which is what is what's going to happen. What's you know, and honestly, it's like look at history. 
because unfortunately we're we're kind of seeing a cyclical you know repeatable process over and over which is faster with technology i think quite frankly well i'm happy to go as deep and dark as you want my friend your <laughs> podcast your rules you go wherever you want to go Sure thing, man. Well, no, I think I think we'll we'll definitely find our way there pretty pretty quickly, you and I. Okay. But uh, <laughs> super cool background, and I appreciate you sharing that with with everyone listening because I think you know, again, for those that uh, they can probably sense my excitement about this particular episode because, uh, you know, you and I have been really really kind of fast and close friends quickly, and it was yep. one of those where agree. there was immediate connection. And, you still need uh, to come up and visit me, though. I gotta come up oh, here. Oh yeah, not that far anymore. So I was, I was in Maui when I first started talking about getting this done, and now I'm finally back in Houston. So I'm just a few hours away. You're gonna, uh, you're gonna have to come up and do my podcast just as an excuse to hang out. That's it. You know? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, what's what? What I'd love to get your 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 take on here is, you know, as the world's manifested today, where cybersecurity is this obnoxiously huge, gargantuan mess of marketing and companies that have sold an immense amount of snake oil. And I know I'm pissing people off when I say that, but that's true. Um, those, are, those are people I don't care about pissing off. So go right ahead. <laughs> I, mean, I totally agree. And it's one of those things where like here I'm sitting here on a microphone with a headset on talking to you and we're like, we're, we're shifting away from the world. I thought we'd probably, well, I'll speak for myself. I thought I'd be in probably forever. I thought I'd build one startup after another. And now I'm like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm very, very closely done from playing in this ridiculous game where there's a lot of lying going on and people sort of making this assumption that everything is good and people feed that assumption. The government especially does a lot of that, unfortunately. I get their purpose behind it, but man, I'll tell you, private sector, it's pretty brutal. You know? Yeah, I would say that my my excitement about security has definitely dwindled over the years. And I think primarily because it just isn't what it used to be. <clears throat> when I got started and I'm sure very similar to you, everything was new and interesting. And there it was the wild west. Truly. Yeah. No one had any idea. The laws weren't even written yet. You know, right. um, the software wasn't written yet. The people who were out there all were just incredibly passionate. They were there because they really wanted to be there. It wasn't a paycheck. There was yeah. no money. There was no money in it at all. Unless you were a black hat. Um, it's just the, the sheer joy of learning how to break into things for fun and learning what you could learn and do what you yeah. could do. And, um, now it is, uh, definitely market driven. Um, it is driven by corporations and by governments. Right. And, uh, that, that certainly makes it a far less interesting place for, from a pure excitement of learning sort of sense. And a lot of the people who have the best knowledge are now keeping it behind the corporate firewall. Uh, yeah. And so they're just not talking about these cool things that they're working on. And occasionally get these drips and drabs that kind of leak yeah. out. Uh, but it's just not like it used to be where everyone was just very collaborative. And, you know, you go to these conferences and there would be like 50 new things you had to go try as soon as you get home. And yeah, now sure. I'd be lucky if I get one or two things uh, out of these same people, this, literally even the same people. Um, they're just they're much more close to their vest or even stop doing the research entirely because yeah. the, the laws are different or, or they're under NDAs or they're scared of pissing off their sponsor or, you know, their company that they're working with or whatever. And yeah, yeah it's definitely dramatically different than it used to be. Yeah, completely. Um, and, you know, on that note and kind of pivoting away from that, you know, one of the things I get a lot of is how do I, 
look at it from my perspective, you know, this is, I'm sure you get this question a ton, which is that Arsenic, you're a pro. How would you deal with X, Y, or Z? I don't want to, I'm not necessarily going down the direction of how do you, no interest in talking about how to secure yourself because we get to, we could spend a whole several episodes to talk about things like that. But the one area I get a lot of interesting questions on today, and this is more recently, this is like the last partially maybe inspired by the pandemic and the lockdowns, maybe more inspired now by the fear mongering happening from media around cyber is how do you hermetically seal yourself away? How do you go off grid? How do you go and completely disconnect from something? And it's interesting that I'm getting the question of a person that's uber connected on how you would disconnect. But I like the question because I did that. That's why I went to Maui. You know that. And that's why a lot of my rationale there was to go there and have nothing more than maybe a cell phone connection. How do you do that, man, if you do it at all? Well, I have a bit of an operational role at my company. So with operations, you have to be a bit on call. But I haven't always had that type of role. And Mm -hmm. I have had a lot more leeway in prior positions where um, I've needed to go off grid for certain reasons uh, when I was doing certain operations and couldn't have anyone know where I was while I was doing certain things. And it's, well, it it all starts with the very first perimeter of things around you, the things you carry with you all, all the time, your laptops, your cell phone, your you know, headsets that might beaconing out or whatever, any, anything that you carry with you daily, you just can't, you have to, you have to divorce yourself with those things. It's funny when I, when I travel overseas or used to travel overseas, it was uh, much more dangerous for me back then than it is now. Although I still, there are certain hotspots that I probably should never, ever go to, but uh, people would say like, what do you, what do you do? And I'm like, well, I, I grab a burner phone and I grab a burner laptop and then I throw it in the trash on the way back in the United States. Like it doesn't, doesn't follow me home. It doesn't come back to my premise. They're like, well, what about like Twitter? What about Facebook? I'm like, look in this industry at this level, when you have this stuff happening to you from all these different directions and all these spooks. And and I have some crazy story. I'm sure you do too. Crazy stories about traveling internationally and it's just not worth it. Yeah. I, yeah. I'll miss out on a couple of DMS while I'm traveling. Yeah. Someone won't be able to get a hold of me, but like, Right. It's much safer for everyone if I just don't take these things with me and dump them in the trash on the way back in. I totally agree. So. And no, that's really, really good. That's a great, great point because that's actually where exactly where I was going with this, which is that I try to rid myself as much of that, you know, kind of layered uh, I, beaconing that essentially is on us all the time. I think people forget about mm-hmm. that. I did an interview yesterday morning, believe it or not. Uh, about implanted microchips that allow you to pay for things. I'm sure you're following that. It's been around for a little mm-hmm. bit. Well, but it's starting to resurface now because it's being employed in France a little more. And, you know, my, they were asking my thoughts. I'm like, horrible, horrible idea. I mean, if you've ever heard the word sidejacking or, you know, mm-hmm. talk about the data collection apparatus that yep. can be employed there. So, yeah, I mean, people are just barreling down this path of becoming a, more of a cybernetic organism that's just going to bleed data everywhere. Yeah. And I mean, it, it goes well beyond that. I mean, that's just the first ring. The second ring is then what you do, because I think a lot of people, they get online and then they're like, okay, I'm going to do the same exact thing I was doing, but now I'm going to do it from an internet kiosk. It's like, what are you doing? You can't check your email from the internet kiosk. Like you're just, you're still connecting to it. And and they're like, I'll drive my car there. No, you can't drive your car there. You know, your car yeah. is beaconing out all the time too. And, yes. and you start, <clears throat> you start widening out like the, the spectrum of things that kind of bleed out to the, the internet. 
and it gets harder and harder and harder. And then like, well, you can't use your voice anymore. You know, you can't, it's, if you want to go down to this level where you really, really are truly anonymous, no, you can't check your Bitcoin account. No, you can't, you know, like all these things, like they all just, yep. just you can't do any of them. Like even simple things, like people don't really realize like, well, I'm, I'll use a VPN. Well, first of all, the VPN is owned by the Chinese military. So everything that's going through there, you're, you're just telling the Chinese military. Second is you're, you're beaconing out with a micro time of install uh, to Google on your browser. So it doesn't matter whether you're following a VPN or not. It's still telling Google, hey, now you're coming through the VPN over here. So it's still able to triangulate you, even if you're not logged in, even if you never intentionally go to Google. It's, you're still, right. you're on the radar. You're not off the radar. You got to yes. completely get rid of all of that equipment and even things like sneakers, uh, they have like RFID chips in them to, you know, figure out what your pace when you're running. Like a lot of these modern sneakers, they they yeah. have RFID chips in them. And like, you just, you kind of have to get rid of everything. Anything that you normally use, you just kind of have to not have it. And then you're, you can't tell anyone where you're going and you can't leak that information about what's about to happen. And right. it just gets harder and harder and harder the further you want to be. It's one of my biggest complaints about these journalists, by the way, who uh, say, oh, uh, I'll keep your identity safe or whatever. And like, right. I'll meet you in this dark alley. It's like, they don't know what they're doing. They no. they cannot keep you safe. They, they, in fact, I don't even think they're willing to do the work it takes to make that happen. No, so. not at all. I couldn't agree more. You know, and it's interesting. Everything you just said really resonates. And I, I'm sure, you know, for the folks that get this, there's a lot of nodding going on for the ones that are mm -hmm. still being indoctrinated our snake. There's a lot of eyebrow races. And I think one I'm of the sure. things that I, I really want to touch on because this is a nice, this is a nice part of the conversation with someone like you and I is that how do you, and I'll speak for, for myself a little on this one as well. How do you manage the burden of knowledge? Because that that's the one thing that I, my wife, for example, and my family, you know, I, I, I did a, a mini podcast the other day about surviving and thriving in an entrepreneurial family. And we got into these really deep topics around it sucks to know things as much as I have a hunger for knowledge and I'm a, an eternal student like you are, it kind of starts to get pretty bleak at times. Like everything we just said, like, I mean, think about the, the conversation we just had. We're talking about decoupling yourself essentially from society in order to have some semblance of sort of comfort or maybe peace of mind. What a, what a tragic situation in a lot of ways. And I don't want to keep making it such a bleak conversation, but unfortunately, <laughs> the I can't help it because it's true. But how do you, how do you manage the burden of knowledge that you have? Well, firstly, let me say outright that I sleep like a baby. Um, <laughs> and, and so, but the reason I think I can do that is I've taken all of the bad things that I know to be true about the world. And I've decided to do things when possible to have the maximal output for me personally. So it started pretty early in life. I would find these choke points, these big things that I knew were broken yeah. that had the most opportunity to improve the most amount of things. And so for instance, um, like, like network protocols, that's a big thing. You fix one network protocol and everybody who's that network protocol everywhere yeah. is suddenly better Both browsers. Most. Yep, yep, exactly. For a small player. browsers were a big one for me. I went after browsers for years and years and years because it turns out one billion people plus, and now it's probably way more than that, um, uh, use browsers. So if I can make browsers just that much better, I've now helped a billion people, and that <clears throat> that helps alleviate some of the downward pressure coming from um, 
some of the issues that I'm sure you're aware of that are happening in the world that are really quite terrible. Um, and so I think, so I'll, I'll tell you one small anecdote. So I came back from this trip, um, pretty, pretty awful trip in many ways. And I was, I was definitely being courted by a foreign military and, um, another foreign military was tracking me while I was there. It was just straight up James Bond stuff, like really right. freaking crazy. I totally but the end, the end of the trip, I had all this intelligence that I had to give over to authorities and stuff. And it was like, it, it took me hours and hours and hours just to process all the stuff that had happened on this one trip. And, uh, my now ex-wife, wife at the time, she's like, something happened to you on that trip. Like, you did not come back the same. I'm like, no, I became an adult. That was the, up until that day, I was a child. And suddenly I was thrust into a very real world where things like chemical weapons and biological weapons are traded on equal playing field with cyber weapons. They are right. not separate things for militaries. They are, they're all tools in the toolbox. And I did not fully grok how important our industry really was until that day. And, um, it and they were putting it, they were shoving it right in my face. They were not hiding it at all. <laughs> and, uh, and so I think that it, it took me a while to get over that. Seriously. I, I, I think I was on a pretty bad mental state for a while as I was processing some probably months. And, uh, I think coming back from it, I realized, yeah, it is a problem. And so now what am I going to do about it? I'm going to focus on, that's one of the reasons my company, I don't know if we want to talk about that, but one of the things my company yeah. gets to do is uh, find assets that companies don't know about. So if I can, with one tiny, super duper scalable little company help, you know, tons of megacorps get a little bit better. Well, that's great. You know, now I've, now I've saved not just my little company from going out of business <laughs> i've saved yeah. you know just that's me right but now i've saved all these big companies and those companies save you know millions and millions of people maybe billions of people in some cases right um and so that that gives me a lot of comfort that i'm me and a handful of people like myself are the cavalry and we are the ones who are showing up and if it weren't for us this probably would be a way, way worse situation or definitely would be a way worse situation. And that's how I sleep. That's how I, that's how I'm able to deal with all of this stuff. That's an amazing answer. Uh, really, really comprehensive and good because it's something that, you know, I don't know that people understand the gravitas of some of this, like you just said, I, I really like that you touched on the fact that when you were coming back in and I love, I love the fact that and you were, you were courted by, by, or, you know, one being chased by foreign military, uh, and then, you know, ultimately debriefing, which brings me to my next question, which, which is interesting. And, you know, again, these are a lot of questions I get our snake. So I'm, I'm, I never sure. get, <laughs> what, what, Wait, are, are, is this just so you can answer with my answers? You, you gotta I, like, I, uh, I'm like, good. this is exactly what I was going to say. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but it's interesting because everyone wonders and thinks that, you know, guys like us, you know, you've never been a government employee. I take it. Correct. No. No, yeah, no, and I don't have, and I don't have clearance either. Gotcha. And what's interesting is that, you know, guys like us show up on these, these talks or we'll end up in some sort of interview place. And the default expectation is that we've been there. We've been in the government yep. and we came out of there and do this now. No. How, and then a couple obvious question. What, what, why well, have my answer, which is not enough zeros to pay me to work at the government. Unfortunately, yeah. no, that's, that's, that's certainly one. part of it. 
what was the reason yeah. that you'd ever go there? Because you obviously have the skills. Um, uh, yeah, and and not because I haven't asked, and not because I don't have friends to work in there, and we don't That's talk, good. we don't talk, and yeah. so yeah, I mean, there's I there's a lot of connectivity and connective uh, connective tissue between myself and the government, but I yeah I don't no uh, it just doesn't make sense. Because I think the first problem is um, I yeah I agree there's just not enough money in it, but the, but even if that weren't a problem, I tend to be a very free thinker. So mm -hmm. for instance, when the hack, the Pentagon uh, program came around, I was asked by no less than three different people in the government to go do it. Like personally, right. like Robert, will you please go do this? Um, one was the head of digital services, the Pentagon. One was sort of the CISO of the Pentagon, although he doesn't really have that title. Right. Um, one of the CISOs of the Pentagon. Um, and then one was the chief of staff of the digital services, of the Pentagon. So three different people. Yep. And each time I said no, because what I knew was going to happen and turned out to be true was that they're going to give me this tiny little block of IPs and yep. they're going to say, okay, try to do this very microcosm of a thing. I'm like, I'm, not, I'm a yeah. hacker. That's just not, not how I think about things. Yeah. It's not real. It's not realistic at all. And it's going to be very frustrating to me the very second I look at it. And I don't want to be frustrated. I just, can we just be friends and talk? Like, I don't, I don't need yep. to prove myself at this point in my career, you know? And then it became an issue, like they weren't willing to do something I needed them to do unless I did this. It was sort of like a trade thing, which was very annoying, but I'm like, fine, fuck it. I'll go do it. Yeah. And so I did it. And as you'd expect, it was just as, I think it was 11 IPs or something, whatever. And I was very annoyed the very first second I did. And so I just, I'm like, look, here's everything I know about you. And I just shoved at them 1.9 million assets that I knew were currently out there. And like, old tiny printers and like firewalls that weren't even made before. They had like a outdated vulnerable version of Minecraft running on the 10th fleet, like all kinds of garbage. Right. Wow. And I just, in this massive ticket, it was, in fact, it was so big, it wouldn't even fit in the ticket. I actually had to put it on a server. And then they were downloading from the server with a vulnerable version of Firefox. And I'm like, there's well, another one. And I'm just, I'm just attacking them like crazy just to show them how stupid this whole thing is and how they're thinking about it all wrong. Yeah. And uh, so, so, First of all, they almost put me in jail. Uh, they almost rolled me up. Uh, the general got really, really pissed off about the whole thing. Uh, and then secondly, um, one other guy, uh, I went wide and he went deep. He, you're supposed to stop like right when you get in and he just kept going. Oh, okay. um, and so um, I did find an actual real issue as well, but it was one of those issues you have to look at other IPs to see how you can leverage it kind of thing. Right. So anyway, end, end result was, I could tell by that conversation that they could not handle a guy like me in the government. They just, it's just, I'm too hard yeah. to work with from that perspective. And another buddy of mine at a three letter, he, he was like, yeah, I don't think you would ever work here. I, I, like, it's just not possible. I don't think you'd pass. I'm like, yeah. you, like not smart enough pass. He's like, no, 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 no. You'd have to do things like you have to turn the machine on and off three times after you reboot it. I'm like, wait, what? Why? <laughs> like, I could see twice. That kind of makes sense. But why wow. three times? He's like, look, dude, you just, you have to do it. Otherwise you won't pass. I'm like, yeah, I wouldn't pass. <laughs> I wouldn't, I wouldn't turn the machine off the third time. Like, uh, no, oh, I can't yeah. do it. <laughs> what a glorious story, dude. I did not know that story. I know you know, you know, I've talked to uh, her, but man, that's a good one. And it's funny because, so it's what what was this three weeks ago we were talking about getting this podcast going you know you and i getting together and i was like and i heard a podcast you did with another guest and i'm like oh it was a strat for guest and i go oh, yeah, yeah yeah hey man 
you do know about my craziness with like anonymous, right? And you're like, no, what, what happened, dude? And because we just weren't, we didn't. And I'm like, man, I was yeah. probably in the room next to you at that time. <laughs> it's so funny because, uh, and I'm bringing that story up only because at the time I had to make one of the toughest calls ever in my career, which was that I had, it was not just me alone. It was my team. We had found one of the guys that was messing with us. And my teammate was sitting there. I kid you not. I'm, no one can see us. Like they can't see my keyboard. He had his finger over the enter key. And he's like, I just, just tell me I can do this. I'm like, tell me what you're going to do. And he started to share the realities of that would have put, that would have pulled us right through the looking glass to your point. We would have mm -hmm. squarely gone from good guy to maybe gray guy, but enough to where it would have shattered this perception and we would have been at odds with the government because immediately yeah. we would have traipsed into areas that we shouldn't have be going. Even if it was an absolutely righteous vigilante-esque thing to do, man, the level of the, the number of times since that time I've had to make a vigilante like, no, not going that direction call. I can't count. I can't count. I'm sure you're in the same boat. So one of the, one of the side effects of me being completely belligerent with this whole hack the Pentagon thing was um and i was pissed by the way i was so annoyed at this whole the whole thing i was annoyed by especially the reaction to it and almost rolling me up but now they have a policy in place that says that if you find issues in the government and you share it with them you don't yeah. go to jail so i understand why it's concerning to a lot of people to have people who are gray uh, yeah. in the world right because you just can't reliably know that they're not going to come after you yeah but the reality is I consider myself to be more gray than white, um, but because of things like this. Right. And, I, but I'm very open about it. I'm like, look, I'm, I'm going to hack the crap out of everything I can hack the crap out of, but I'm not going to do anything bad with it. I'm going to then show you why this is so broken. That's right. Um, I think that if you don't have people like me pushing the boundaries and people like yourself, who I know can do it then you're never really going to be safe. You're not even going to get close because you're never going to know what's really wrong. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Look, I'm in the throes of this right now, Arsenic, with my own company. And I, you know, I don't talk about it as much on this podcast, but I will say, and you know what we're doing. Our, our yes. stuff, pretty offensive and it arguably. I, I, uh, I, yeah. I point people to you fairly regularly. So if you get some kind of weird phone calls every once in a while, just... Thank uh, you. <laughs> <laughs> that might be that might be from me. Yeah, awesome. you're doing some cool stuff. You're doing some cool stuff, and and I agree. If it would take virtually nothing for you to be incredibly offensive and start taking down governments, if you felt like it, right? Um, exactly. And that's a I, very, that's the burden we were talking about a minute ago. I, yeah. I am shocked that no one has said, "Hey, here's a get out of jail free card. Go go for it." Um, so. Yeah. Oh, it's interesting because that conversation, you know, you, you and I, and several other folks that we obviously know, probably some of which we have overlap on, but man, the mm -hmm. privateer kind of, uh, Corsair strategy that yep. the government has employed mm -hmm. in the past in medieval times and the 16th century, or, you know, even, you know, I think the recent, the 18th cyber century. mark, is that what you're talking about? Mark, exactly. Have you, been... I get, I get a pre yeah, yeah, that comes up. It sure does. And pretty far down the rabbit hole. But the problem is you can't trust anyone who comes at you with that as a promise. You can't Agreed. now 
now they they will absolutely have all the money in the world to go sponsor anything you want to go do like that <laughs> money is not the problem so if you're right. like well will i make get rich doing this sure like they'll give you a fraction of whatever you haul back and and sure. Bitcoin or whatever that you're able to steal from some third world country, like despot, you know, dictator yeah. or whatever. But you're working for the government in a way that you probably will never stop working for the government. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> a little bit more uh, a feel to that than a government feel in some ways. It's a lot like working for the mafia. <laughs> right. Well, what's your prediction there? Do you think this is going to move to where some of these operations are going to go in the private sector and guys like yeah. us are going to get tapped? You do believe it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I think so. Almost certainly. At least the guys I'm talking to, they're so serious about it and they're so well-funded and they're, and they're so successful already. Yeah. It would be stupid for the treasury to say, no, we just don't want extra billions of dollars in our coffers. You know, like exactly. they're just going to say yes, eventually. I mean, it may not be the right political climate to say yes right now, but sure. eventually someone with a, a sense of what's possible will say, okay, go for it. Right. Um, right. Just make sure, make sure that we know the details so you don't get, you know, trounced on by the FBI. And that's exactly it. It's that, it's that non-cross pollination. That's the problem today is that one group doesn't know what the other group's doing. I mean, you know, on mm -hmm. a daily basis, our snake, you know, I'm probably stumbling across ops that are actually good guy ops that look bad, like bad guy ops. And I have to make a call on whether I, implicated or not and that's tough because i'm not going to get someone telling me don't touch that touch this at all ever mm -hmm. um right. but let me ask you do you think it's a good thing i guess you know we said you, you predict it probably happen do you how do you feel about it i know it's a massive topic and you know we could probably spend the rest of the episode on this but i'm curious on your thoughts initially um I don't know if I'd ascribe a morality to it. Um, mm -hmm. I think it's more yeah. like it'll happen. Um, whether we like it or not. I yep. uh, yeah, whether I like it or not. I, I don't know that I've actually put a whole lot of thought into whether it makes me feel good or bad. I, I guess if you, if you're, if they're very clear on what they're going after, so they know who these people are. So it's, this isn't like a, a, a sleight of hand. They know exactly sure. who has the money. They know where the money is. They know how it got there. They know who's involved with it, who has access to it. They know everything they need to know to go after it. They just can't. Like yeah. legally, they're not allowed to. But what if what if another organization goes and gets it? Well, right. then, you know, then it just appeared and now we have it. And, yeah. you know, they get a slice of it and they don't have to pay tax on it. And wouldn't that be nice? Right. Um, and so I think the problem is you really do have to have some oversight to make sure that they're not going after targets that are not uh, bad. You know, these are the, yeah. like you went to, you went after one, one bank account over and yeah, that one had a billion dollars in it, but that was some silver wealth fund. That was like totally benign sort of Absolutely. deal. Um, I mean, one of the pen tests I did many years ago, um, I broke into account and, and you're probably familiar with something called an off by one error. Something looks right. like a thousand, but it's really a hundred or whatever. It's a, yep. it's a UI problem. It's usually not a problem in the database, right? but I, I broke into this one account and I was sure I was looking at an off by one error by probably several orders of magnitude. I'm like, uh, something got messed up in the UI, but whatever that happens sometimes. Sure. And then I did some more analysis and I'm like, no, that it really is that amount. Holy crap. And then I proceeded to break into every single one of the accounts and by the end of the day, and I'm not even going to say the number because you're just going to accuse me of lying, but 
trust me, this is the biggest, biggest number you can think of all the money in the world, effectively that transacts all day long, all in one big settlement point, just, and I could have taken it all. Um, and, um, I, I went out and I researched, like I talked to a black hat friend of mine. I'm like, okay, let's say if I wanted to, I'm just going to throw a number out there. Want to steal like $1.5 trillion. Let's just say I wanted to move that around. And he's like, sorry, dude, I just cannot help you. (laughs) There's no, no way. He's like, if you said like one or 10 million, maybe I could probably handle it. There's some bank accounts down in Panama. You basically set up some fall guy who, he's the guy who's, yeah. I'm like, well, what if I wanted to do it thousands of times? He's like, there aren't enough fall guys. I cannot manufacture that much. He's like, sorry, no way. So, wow. Yeah, I, I I know that the um, the likelihood of being able, if you can break into one, you can break into many, is extremely high. Yeah. And if that's the case, you have to rely entirely on their ethics to figure out whether this would go missing or whether it would be appearing in the treasury or not. That's right, that, and that's that's a problem. That's a great, great point. And, you know, it, it, it comes back nicely to the conversation around you working for the government or we being ta- us being tapped to go work for it. Everyone is susceptible to, to greed or uh, temptation. I mean, no question, no question. In, in the course of my career, there have been operations where I'm like, I just solicited intelligence on behalf of my, for my client that probably I'd be able to leverage out on the street, so to speak, for exponentially more money. Do I go and actually take this over to my client or not? And honestly, as a young guy, I mean, I was in my early 20s. I didn't, I wasn't some, you know, seasoned tenured guy with a family. I was a freewheeling young guy. Man, that was a bizarre period. And I think about things, I'm like, I could have gone totally astray at, at so many points in my career. And I, I'm not saying it as in I'm questioning my own integrity or, as you said, morality. It's just that right. possibilities that exist for guys like us are crazy. That's why that bur- I keep talking about that burden yeah. of knowledge. All right. So I'll give you another example of this where I, I know where my ethics are. So I'm, I'm actually completely safe doing stuff like this. But I, yep. I still like to know what's possible. It's very useful. Sure. So I, uh, I spent one weekend just finding a bunch of vulns. I decided to sit down, I downloaded a bunch of CMSs and I just manually hacked on them for one full weekend, just two days. I did nothing but do this. Um, watching some terrible TV at the same time, kind of thing, sitting on my couch. Uh, (laughs) and so I found, found about like 15 vulns or whatever in that two day period. Um, one of them was really pretty good. A handful of them were okay. And the rest were kind of whatever. Um, and so I went to some Voln brokers. Um, one was literally Voln broker, but I went to some others as well. And I submitted it to them to see what happened. And there, and all but one of them effectively immediately got kicked out. They're like, nope, not interested. And then the one that was kept in there was only kept in there for like a couple of days. And then they kicked that one out too. And I'm like, well, that was weird. Like they didn't want any of them. <clears throat> but like, I know that these are functional work, uh, like actual exploits. In fact, these were exploits in CMSs that had the word secure in the name of the CMS. It's like yep. secure something or something secure or whatever, specifically right. to say like, okay, anyone who uses this really needs it to be secure. So then I went to my black hat friends and I'm like, all right, <clears throat> let's say I had a vuln that looks like this and I could compromise. I think about, I think it was about 30,000 or so sites that use this based on what I could tell. Um, all of them want to be secure for some reason. And they're like, well, we don't really care about the fact that they're secure or not, but you know, we'll pay you a million bucks. Sure. And I'm like, 
a million bucks for two days of worth of work is yeah. an incredible haul for any hacker. That's really, really good. That's um, and it, and, and on the flip side, the, the market, the white hat market will pay literally $0 for it. Yeah. That's right. So <laughs> that that is a very hard thing, I think, for a lot of hackers to get over. Like, wait, I can do the good thing and make literally nothing. Yeah. Or I can do the bad thing and make a million dollars in a weekend. Such a great point and really important point you're bringing up because um, I'm going to sort of date this podcast with what's going on in the world with the, the Russian Ukrainian mess. Um, mm -hmm. I have been helping steward people and groups to not impetuously act maybe in the right in the right headspace maybe, maybe they have the best of intentions but to just hold because if you're acting without the proper level of intelligence you can really create a mess like you said there's a totally. lot of things out there that are going to create a real real problem so i've been doing my best to help in that way which is just, just hang tight. You know, why don't you, why don't you share the information? No one wants to share information with the government. If they're slightly on the edge, we understand why, for the reasons we just mentioned, they don't want to get caught or busted or feel like it's a trap. Uh, as, as most people listening to this know, most people in this world are pretty paranoid, right? Yeah. So they're just not willing to do it. But what's really interesting are, is are the ones that either don't listen or I've never, never inter interacted with they're going to eventually get to the point where they realize they've been able to achieve something and that's going to go to their heads. And this is what worries me a little bit about what's transpired here beyond the obvious that we've heard in the news mm -hmm. is that this whole contingent of lack of accountability and this sort of rampant wild west pursuit. I mean, this is, this is new ransomware groups in the making that are, that are mm -hmm. being manifested, even if they have <clears throat> now and uh, yeah. we're in for a ride. I think is, is the other thing I want to bring up because I don't know that people see that there's, this is a powder keg that's sort of brewing here beyond just like once, the classic cyber war conversation. Once people decide that it's okay to do one little bad thing, it's yeah. much easier to do the sec second little bad thing. And then it yep. just sort of spirals and then you're not sleeping well at night and you're on the, you're on the other side of the fence. And, um, it's just not a life that I really wanted to lead for myself, but I can totally see why someone who's young and impetuous and wanting to do the right thing and has a little bit of skills and want to test about and like, and it seems like the whole world's like free range trying to attack somebody seems right. like that would make sense. But I, I too, in similar situations, not so much in this conflict exactly, but Right. Uh, when 9-11 happened, I was, I was already very aware of um, Al-Qaeda, although it was spelled differently. It was Al-Qaeda um, right. uh, because I was a member of <clears throat> the International Association of Counterterrorism and Security Professionals. So they sent out this newsletter thing. And then <clears throat> when that all went down, I was on Hack Freak on the internet and all these hackers were trying to like, okay, let's go after Al-Qaeda. Let's go after Pakistan. Let's go after whatever. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> What are you guys doing? You have no idea what you're doing. Yeah. Uh, like, I appreciate that you want to take down some websites, but the websites might be incredibly useful from an intelligence perspective. Like, right. who's going to those websites might be the thing you want to know if you're in the, in the intelligence business. So I, I, too, steer people away from things that they don't understand. Um, right. And uh, on the flip side of that, <clears throat> I think the, the, the words attribution is hard is oh, one yeah. of the weirdest things that has come out of the security industry in a long time. It's like attribution is hard for you because you don't have a spy sitting in the room 
Yeah. Uh, but the spy sitting in the room can tell that that person typed in that command or whatever, yes. you know, like, like we don't, we don't really know what's happening <clears throat> in these operations, but in a lot of cases we have, we have an operative sitting there. I mean, they might be flipped. They might be on their other side, but they're still relaying intelligence or they've planted a bug or they painted yes. software that allows us to see what's going on keystrokes on that computer. Like it's, it's very dangerous to assume the government doesn't know what they're doing, um, especially on cyber type issues and human and second type issues. I totally agree. I totally agree. <clears throat> the, the evolution of where it's gone and how the merging kind of what I led with in the beginning of this conversation, which is the merging of intelligence and security, you know, has been fascinating. Your company right now, you were mentioning a, a little bit, I'd love to, to dig in on what inspired that. I remember talking to you at one point because um, originally I had a data set that was actually the, the, the seedling of what became my company now. And I was actually, we were dabbling in the idea of doing something together. You yep. really have zeroed in on something really powerful, which is helping people in, it's like to use it in lay terms, really inventorying an environment that is almost impossible to inventory alone, or even if you yeah. have direct access to it. How did you even begin that process? Was it just collection that eventually facilitated visibility? How did that go? Yeah, I, this has been a 20 year project for me um, and only been actively working on it for eight, but <clears throat> I I met this really stupid character 20 years ago, um, just a moron. Uh, he was an investment broker or something and he was just garbage. He was terrible. He didn't know what he was doing. He was just yeah. making bad bets. But this is, um, <clears throat> let's see, must must be more than 20 years ago, 20, 23 years ago now, I guess. So it was right before 9-11 or Y2K rather. And right. the market was going up and going up and going up. And, um, and all of a sudden, like the market just disintegrated. So he lost everything, but he kept making these bets. Like, oh, if the graph does this, it goes up. If the graph goes yeah. this. If you're in the market at all, you were making money. <laughs> like yeah. you really couldn't yeah. lose leading up yeah. to the Y2K. But I always thought, there's something to that. Like he's not, he's not right. I mean, nothing he's saying is correct at all, but there's something to, if I had enough telemetry, I bet I could predict markets, but it would take a huge data sets to do this. And, and sure. I didn't know where to get them and I didn't have enough money and lots of logistic issues. Um, so then I ran into the smartest guy I've ever met. Like this guy's top, literally smart person, person I've ever run across. Um, uh, strange guy, but great. I loved him. Uh, everything he said was interesting. Uh, he's like, have you ever, if you're familiar with the game Pachinko, it's kind of like, uh, yeah, some Japan. it's like drops. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. A uh, little, little thing that drops down and gets into certain slots. He's like, like well, that's a game of, yeah, it's like Plinko. Um, yeah. but it's with gambling. Yep. Uh, and he's like, that's a game of skill, not a game of luck. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure you're wrong about that. He's like, no, it's just like, we don't understand the coefficient of friction. We don't understand velocities. We don't understand the bounce rates. If a human could understand all those things, we'd be able to perfectly put it in the exact place all the time. I'm like, oh, like true determinism. Okay, all right. Yeah. I see what you're saying and you're right um, in that sense, totally. And same thing with craps or any one of those, right? They're all, it's all a game of skill. We just don't have the skill. Right. And so again, it started breaking my brain. I'm like, ah, I really want to build that project where I just have all this telemetry because the problem is I just don't have enough knowledge. If I had more knowledge, I'd be able to build this thing. Mm -hmm. So a handful of years in the future after that, um, a couple things happened. There was a change to the Linux kernel that allowed you to make more than 65,000 open connections at a time using these things called virtual ports or sin cookies. Um, 
And uh, so now the internet could scan the internet very rapidly. Like I, one from one machine, I could scan a single IPv4 port uh, in a couple minutes if you right. have the right amount of bandwidth, uh, which is amazing. That's a quantum leap further than we've ever been able to do before. So all of a sudden these tools became available and drive prices finally came down. There was like a tsunami that drove prices up, but you know, finally they came back down and you could finally build like these crazy single U boxes with like yeah. many, many, many terabytes on them. And so finally had the right drives, finally had the right tech to put it on there. And I started collecting all this data, but I did it because I really felt like you could do it for stock prediction was my original thought. Gotcha. And so I went, I went and started talking to all these fund managers, like these mega corp fund managers, like, you know, many billions under assets kind of thing. And uh, I remember talking to one out of London and he's like, okay, so I get this pitch every two or three days. Someone come in and say they can predict the market with some bullshit technology. He's like, yours is the first I've seen I actually think would work. Wow. Uh, out of all the things I've seen, yours is the first. Uh, he's like, the problem is you can't trade on a new thesis. You have to have your existing thesis. And if you change it midstream, all your, your all the people who put money in your um, fund will sue you if you ever lose a dollar on any trade ever. So you have to keep money. And even if you make money and you don't make as much money as you should have made because you changed right. your thesis, you're done, right? So he's like, I, I love your idea. I just could never use it. I'd have to start a brand new fund just to manage just sure. that thesis. And so... Yeah. Uh, so now I would have this tech with nothing to do with it. Right. Was, I, I couldn't sell it. Right. And so my buddy, Jeremiah came along and he looked at it. He's like, he was like, well, this is really cool. You could do all kinds of things with it. I'm like, yeah, security implications. Of course, of course that's yeah, of course I could do that. But I really wanted to do stock prediction. He's like, no, nah, it's really good for asset management. And I'm like, fine, oh. screw it. Uh, <laughs> so he started a little company and, uh, and yeah, we started building this thing. And I think what I realized about the data is it is actually not stock prediction and it's not asset management and it's not like really anything. It's, it's all things. It's yeah. really good for like sales enablement, like knowing what to sell into companies. It's really good for M and a, like we, we now have a multi-billion dollar company that is using it for every acquisition that they, they want to know ahead of time, whether this company is good or bad. And then, uh, then they tell them, Hey, we're going to buy you. And then they watch what changes yeah. because yeah. what changes is a direct indicator of corporate malfeasance oh, yeah. uh, because people will change things that they don't want you to see. Like, Oh, we really make our money in porn or gambling or something, or sure. they try to jack up their infrastructure to make it like, look, look like they actually have more customers than they do all kinds of crazy stuff, but you can detect it. So it's like insurance modeling and all this stuff. And so it's not really a security company I, and I don't really feel like I'm in security, but obviously it has huge security implications because I can break in all kinds of stuff with it. Right. And Absolutely. the temptation to aim in at dot RU right now is you know, <laughs> pretty high. I'll be yeah. honest. Uh, but at the same time, you know, have to play within the boundaries of the law. So. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that was a really interesting description. And I don't, I don't know that I knew that actually that you had originally you probably told me, but I don't remember that 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 was the impetus behind it. But that's so fast. I, I, I think every, I think everyone wants me to shorten the story down. Like, oh, it's about asset management. Yeah, well, that's part of what oh, it was. <laughs> the real story, man. And uh, and the reason I yeah. love the real story is that you can probably envision a very parallel situation with my world because not are we not only are we able to determine perhaps. Um, what is actively the situation some in a similar capacity to you, which is that, you know, assets sure. that are vulnerable. I can conceivably 
watch a manifestation of of a market manipulation happen because mm-hmm. in many cases I'll see malware show up in an organization that I know for a fact Arsnank is not there to harvest any intel it's there to get mm-hmm. caught and so mm-hmm. what's going on is the adversary is actually in, intentionally infecting an organization and then leaking to the press that that organization is hacked so they can have the stock dip and then they can make money on the short and then ride up on the correction and so in a lot of ways, I actually know some guys, I know some yeah. guys who are doing stuff like that. So that, that actually jives. Um, yeah, yeah I, I got to ask you a question. So when I, when people say they'll, they'll come to me, they're like, oh, I, I'm not hacked. And they'll, they'll like do the, these big companies like, oh, like this one hack or whatever. Like from my perspective, I just, every time they like come up with this weird, like reaction to it, I just, it breaks my brain because I'm like, have you ever been to your IT department? Have you ever yeah. walked down in your ID department? Because they have stacks and stacks and stacks and stacks of laptops, floor to ceiling, yeah. that are all running slow or all yeah. or have pop-ups on them or whatever. Like you're hacked yeah. hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times a day. Like probably, like who knows how uh-huh. many viruses you have running just on the those laptops alone, let alone the rest of the environment. Like what, what do you, how do you feel about it? Oh God, man. That is the best tee up for this story. I'll keep it quick because I want to get more time with you. This is going to make you laugh. When the pandemic hit and lockdowns really, really went into effect and work from home really, really started to manifest and take root, everything exploded in my system because what happened was they went to that stack of laptops that were sitting there that were just uh, waiting. <laughs> they handed to the employees that didn't have anything. Interesting. They shipped and them out, these old hacked website laptops. Yep. I saw Romnet wow. show up about a year ago again. Romnet's 20-year-old malware, for those who don't know what we're talking about. Stalwart, but old. And so, yes, to answer your question with that little story. Wow. Yeah. That is a great tee-up. Wow. Uh, yeah. Working from home is definitely IOT in general, um, is a problem, but like these people having the BYOD thing, like companies can't have that. They just can't like, they got to ship them laptops and we're going to get all these laptops like at a moment's notice. Yep. That's a very interesting anecdote. And then this is back to the original kind of my, my frustration and, and agitation with the general ennui of the world with understanding this. I, I couldn't, could not, t- I mean, there's probably hundreds of times I've gotten the conversation of no worries. My corporate environment gave me a VPN for my laptop. We're secure. And I'm like, do you know what that VPN really is? That VPN is a hypodermic needle from your crusty ass household into a corporate environment. It's literally carving mm-hmm. through all the security protocols to allow some horrific payload syringe to make its way through the needle to the corporate environment. And they're like, I don't get it. Isn't the VPN supposed to protect me? I'm like, in transit through the internet, but it's not going to do anything for what's going through that VPN. Yeah, it'll and, stop your spouse from seeing what's going on in your corporate, you know, stuff. Right. But that's about it. <laughs> and so there's such horrific misinformation and lack of education that really I think has caused. I mean, you know, from my perspective, and this is where I think I I have this somewhat bleak foreboding sense. And I talk about this a lot in media. You've probably seen my my broadcaster like, oh, there's cream talking about implants again. Dude, that's the scary part for me is all the switches that can be flipped at a given point. Any moment mm-hmm. someone wants to, not to suggest that we don't as a country have our switches ready to flip on the other side, but that's sure. that Cold War that I think people have kind of 
been touching on that don't really fully understand. And your perspective is really interesting because you know exactly what that surface looks like. It's huge. Yep. It's enormous. Yeah. And it's funny because when companies come to us and they're like, hey, what would you do with all this data? Because they're, they're looking at this mountain of information and they don't know what <clears throat> they, they previously were kind of blissfully ignorant of the fact like yeah. we're just eBay. We have eBay.com. And like, okay, no. but you also have Kijiji.com and you also have like marketplots.com and you have all these test sites and staging sites and VPN yeah. servers and printers and all this garbage that you just don't really think of. But all those things are websites in the sense that they are on the internet and you can reach them with your browser. Right. And when I, when I'm like asked like, well, what would you look at first? Like very first thing, very number one, first thing is go look at these staging sites and test sites because yeah. someone doesn't think those things should be on the internet, but it is anyway. No one intentionally ever puts a test site or a staging site on the internet. It just doesn't happen. They kind of forget that I'm the only one that can reach it because I'm the only one to know it's, it's called test. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, I know, uh, unfortunately, and, yeah. and there's no firewall, you know, protection. There's no WAF. There's no antivirus running on it. There's no controls and it uses the same credentials. And yeah. it's got same access behind the firewall. It's probably connected to the same database or a database that looks just like it with all the same problems that you can pivot one to the other. And, right. And uh, <clears throat> that, I mean, that's how Sans Casino got hacked. That's uh, that's how Equifax got Iranian, hacked. Right. The Sans one. What's that? That was Iranian nation states, right? Was that? The yeah, same? that was, well, we don't know for sure if it was the nation state, but it was definitely people tied to Iran. And uh it was maybe as many as two or three different teams involved in that too, which wow. is, so it's not clear if they were coordinated or not, but, sure. but uh, yeah, I mean, all of these things are totally solvable. It's just, no one even knows to look for them. So start there, then work your way down the list of, you know, you're out of date patching. Well, of course you're out of date. Everybody's out of date. Oh yeah. It's actually one of my favorite things to pick on because I don't actually know what the current version of, let's say Apache is or WordPress sure. or, you know, IAS or whatever. I have, I'm, I just don't keep up to the current version in my head, but I look at what they've got. I'm like, well, you got three different versions. So I know you're not up to date. No. <laughs> it should only be one. <laughs> Yep, there's inherently an issue there. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Oh man, that's crazy. So interesting little segue from where we are here and, and not to not to be too technical, but I think it's interesting. Sure. Um there's been talk of what's your what's your talk of or what's your belief on the talk around Russia decoupling from the greater internet? Have you have you been following that that answer? Well, I think they have to if they want to survive. Um yeah. I think balkanization is the natural future of the world. I think more and more countries are going to realize they need their own social networks. They need their own uh, mail systems. They need right. their own registrars. They need to have their own hardware manufacturers for, you know, cell phones and, and switches and routers and computers. They're going to have to have their own operating systems. Like everything's yep. going to have to be country specific. I just don't think most countries are thinking that way yet, but right. it's already going that way. Like Red Star operating system, uh, for instance, uh, China has their own um, their own hardware manufacturers. Um, yeah, Russia has their own search engine. Right, you're you're starting to see this balkanization happening, but I think that's just going to accelerate. What happens, in your opinion? when and if that does manifest sooner than later because of the situation and we have to cope 
on in the West, we'll just broadly speak that way with things like BGP hijacking on our internet. How do we deal with that? Yeah, I, I, well, it's a very big problem. (laughs) Um, Fortunately, I think that it's one of those sort of temporary problems that, yeah, it's a really big problem when it happens, but it gets rectified fairly quickly. And you, you'll have to have operatives sitting on in every location eventually when it gets truly balkanized. Right. Um, We'll have, we'll have probably country gateways where we have literally protocols that are allowed to go across the wire or not go across the wire. I mean, yeah. I hate to say it, but this is definitely where things are going. Like, yeah. it's funny. People keep talking about like web three. I'm like, yeah, I don't think so. I mean, no. you're going to, you're going to have so many, uh, one of the cool things about the internet is it routes around damage. It, it does. It absolutely does. So whenever oh. you have things like, like, uh, like denial of access in Russia, you have Starlink pop up, like yeah. suddenly the internet just appears in over right. your sky and you suddenly have internet and it's routing around the damage, which was electronic warfare. And then electronic warfare got better. And then guess what? Starlink got better and a route around the damage again. And it just yep. keeps getting better and better. I think that what will happen is there will always be an internet, uh, just like there will always be um, things like Bitcoin, even though it's the worst of all the cryptocurrencies in many ways. Oh, yeah. Like the first one will always just kind of hang out there, you know, just forever. We're, we're going to be stuck with TCP, uh, even though it's pretty you know, antiquated. By right. protocol standards, uh, we're still going to have HTTP for a very, very long time, despite the fact we have quick and speedy and stuff these days. HTTP 3.0. Uh, I just, I think that more and more we're going to have to get to more balkanization, which means there'll be a prevailing for China. There'll be a prevailing for Australia or whatever. All these cybersecurity companies are going to have to have yeah. a mirror of themselves in each of these countries. So that, that brings up patent issues and copyright issues and marketing issues and access issues and all kinds of stuff. No doubt about it. And it sounds like, you know, back to your James Bond comment earlier, we're going to be going squarely back into a truly espionage oriented Cold War. Speaking of operatives being in the right locations at the right time. Now, whether these are electronic operatives or they're human, you know, is mm-hmm. to be determined. But no, I think I we're, think in, we're in cold, I think I think we're in Cold War two right now. I think oh, it's, no, no. I think it's already started. Totally I totally agree with you. Yeah. And it's interesting because it, 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 the talent required to drive initiatives isn't all residing in the government. This is why I think that you and I are likely going to get tapped a lot more than we probably want to be in the next few years on conversations around how some what of this- are talking gets... about? I'm going off grid. <laughs> you can have them. <laughs> yeah, you got that range from Maui for a reason, brother. So yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think it's just really fascinating because, look, there's an excitement factor, too. I mean, I don't know that, you know, look, not a, I'm not this this anarchist and thrilled about the carnage. It's not that. It's that there's the whole reason we're into this business and we're, we're fascinated and in, in the, the lust for learning. We're in unprecedented times. I mean, I think um, I said in the beginning of this conversation that nothing's changed much. Well, the threat certainly has manifested in a much more robust way, in, in my honest opinion. It's much more capable. I mean, dude, when ransomware operators are oligarchs in their own right now because of how much money they've actually made and they've essentially retired with their ocelot and their ridiculous code on and on in San Tropez, I sure. mean, come on, you know, and I don't think those guys are done. So, no. I mean, the biggest fraud that I'm currently aware of is, is the surf fraud. It's basically yeah. advanced, uh, basically paying other people's taxes and then you get the refund uh, wow. to your offshore account somewhere. 
and it's a $4 billion a year current fraud. And uh, I just don't know that many people who can launder $4 billion every year. I mean, once maybe, but like that's an ongoing pipeline of, you know, stuff that you're basically going to have to keep track of and monitor. And we think it has got to be at least a hundred people involved in it. And that's a lot of people to manage. That's a small to medium business that's got to, keep churning and you know you gotta have payroll and you're gonna have to have yeah you know, help people showing up to an office and help desks and you yeah. know it departments and all the things and that's a that's a that's an operation i have to say so, though the more that we see panama papers and paradise papers manifest mm-hmm. and the more recent one i can't remember what it was called there's was, there's another one since then there is infrastructure for that it's just really well established and structured uh, by extremely powerful people. And so in a lot of ways, you know, I keep kind of pulling the layers of the onion back in a lot of ways going, wait a second, I'm being naive about this. This is absolutely established. And to your point with the people that are benefiting from it, I don't know that it's ever going to stop. I, I mean, I think that if anything, it might even increase, especially with what's going so on. So back to your, so back to your cyber mark thing. Yeah. <clears throat> um, part of the problem is you have to get, you have to repatriate that cash and you can't put it in the treasury account. You just can't, you have to put it somewhere else first. Right. And so now you have to have a shady, shady fucking bank that'll let you route literally billions of dollars around at a moment's notice under false names. And it'll be able to do it with no questions asked and the money will only be there for minutes. And that can, has to all just work. Yeah. I mean, now we basically have to create the most disgusting like uh, infrastructure ever invented yeah. for moving money around, and it's got to be ours. So that that's another thing that worries me because that's not going to be in the United States because it can't be, right. which means we're going to be sponsoring some foreign nation to do some very shady and get used to doing it um, on an ongoing basis, not just once. So there, there's some serious downsides to that. It's, it's absolutely amazing, this conversation, because you literally landed this on this one note that I had that I wanted to ask you about, which I want to make sure that for the sake of, of listeners, I'm not trying to delve into any kind of conspiracy theory talk, but the sure. central bank crypto dollar or digital currency or whatever they're calling it, CBDC or mm-hmm. whatever it is, is mm-hmm. that the apparatus that they'll utilize for this kind of thing, for repatriation? And what's your feeling about uh, it? It sure could be, um, but you'd need it to be somewhere else first still. You can't okay. just have it just jump right in there. Um, because what you don't want is someone picking up the phone saying, hey, where's my money? And they're like, oh, it's yeah. in the treasury, United States treasury. <laughs> you don't want right. that. Yeah. Uh, you want it to be, hey, some hackers came and stole your cash. Um, sure. And we don't we don't know where it went. So that means you got to hop it at least once and probably multiple times, ideally. Uh, so it could end up in crypto and it might be in other crypto temporarily. But the problem is we're talking about such large dollar amounts and the transaction time has to be so fast. Right. It's almost like you just have to have people in on it. it it's it's like um, normally the settlement time for something like that would be many days. Like they would not right. let a transaction like that through very quickly. Right. But you'd need the settlement time to be down to like literally minutes. And so, yeah, um, because people are going to get a phone call like, hey, we, are you sure you just wanted this billion dollars? And like, whoa, 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 wait, what? Hello, <laughs> <laughs> unwind it, stop it. You're like, well, you know, yeah. depending I, on where you are in that system, that might be easier to do. That is interesting. 
And and your feeling on this, I mean, God, this is another massive topic. Have you dabbled in crypto? Have you dabbled with blockchain technology of any kind? Um, well, sort of. I mean, I don't have as much faith in it, I think, that as a lot of people do. Um, okay, okay, I'll give my, my few second primer on it. For those of you who know nothing about this, uh, who are listening, here's, here's, here's how I think about it. And then one guy's opinion. So first of all, let's talk about the blockchain just by itself, not talking about the, the currency part on top of it. Blockchain is just forensically secured logging. That's it. Yeah, uh, like and and that doesn't really do anything special. It's just logging. There's many different ways to do logging. You don't have to do it on a blockchain. There's way, many ways to do it forensically secure. For instance, you can have it send to a to a read only disk and or sorry, write only disk rather or append only disk, mm -hmm. and suddenly you have forensically secured logging. So there's lots of ways to do that. So there's nothing really special about that part. Uh, the part that is vaguely interesting is that you can put transactions on top of it. Um, but the problem is. It's got all the downside of a credit card and none of the upside of cash. Mm. Um, so it's not anonymous, as, despite what everyone will tell you. It's on a public ledger. Anyone can see it. Uh, it can be stolen, um, which is really not great. Like FDIC will, will give you your money back or the bank will give you money back if someone steals it from your credit card. But it's, but it's like cash, so you can just go and grab it, you know? Yep. Um, and there's no way to get it back. And there has been a couple of very weird circumstances where people have been able to unwind transactions. But usually what it means is you're getting more centralized and more authority, and it's doing all the things you said you didn't like about fiat currencies. So it, it seems like there's just a lot of misnomers about what crypto is. And right. um, so in that sense, I don't like it. However, so I've said a bunch of bad stuff, but I'll say a couple of good things about it. I really like the fact that it makes uh, the people in Venezuela able to um, transact on a stable, a stable-ish currency, mm -hmm. given the fact that they have, they're seeing hyperinflation. Yeah. And I think it is a hedge against hyperinflation in general. So the United States right now is approaching 8% at minimum, let's say, of inflation yeah. rate. I think it's actually quite a bit higher than that, despite what everyone's saying, based on what I can see in other areas. For instance, the housing market's like 30% up or something. So let's say it's yeah. somewhere above 8%, but below 30% if you want to pick a number. Um, I could hold it in Bitcoin. And and yes, the, the dollar to Bitcoin, there's more dollars. Uh, like It seems like it's worth more uh, on paper. But really what's happening is Bitcoin is just you know, dealing with the fluctuations in the market, just like any currency would long term, mm -hmm. it is a very stable currency compared to the United States that the United States keeps printing money. So if you want to hedge against the downside associated with, uh, with hyperinflation, it's a decent enough place, just like gold or you know, any commodity would be. Problem is it's like a credit card. Uh, so if you swipe your credit card in the wrong place, someone has your number. And um, so yeah. Anyway, uh, and also because it's traceable, if you have a large chunk of money, um, a guy like me can pretty quickly figure out who you are and then go and take it from you yep. physically. So, yeah, no, that's a really, really good point. And it's something that, you, like you said, people have horrifically bad understanding of, of this. You know, I mean, uh, yeah. two, three days ago, talking about cold wallet storage, I'm like, mm -hmm. you do know your crypto is not on that thing, right? And they're like, right. no, it is. I'm like, no, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> All right.
and really, really like, you know, eyebrow raise confusion. It's just, it's interesting because the speed by which everything manifests and, you know, um, I guess as a good, as a good segue to where we we've gone, we've covered a, a myriad of topics, which are amazing. So thank you for that. Mm-hmm. I think it's of been course. an interesting ride. Um, what's next for our snake? I mean, certainly you've got your company now. I know that there's, um, we're both in a very similar boat, oddly enough, you know, in I, it's a similar situation, perhaps I didn't really even know I was gonna be starting another company. I think you remember that. I was like, no, nah, yeah. Up- yeah. You're here never doing this again. <laughs> <laughs> here I am. Uh, but what's next for you, ma'am? I was literally talking to somebody last night and like, please remind me how hard running a company is next time I want to start a company. Like, just, just remind me, just say, you ask me to remind you how hard it is. And then I'll remember what I felt like at this moment, because running a company is incredibly difficult. Unfortunately, I'm not the CEO of the company. Jeremiah managed to do that for me. And he's, he's, I think he's better at it and enjoys it more than I would. Jeremiah's awesome. Great guy. Yeah, he's great. He's a great guy. But, um, you know, I think I think what I want to do is I want to settle in on the podcast that I'm working on. Very similar to you, you know. Um, I think a lot of people's goal is to get famous. I've I've already been sort of internet famous. I don't really have right. a desire for that. It doesn't do anything for me. But what I do want is to make sure that my friends are seen because my friends are very interesting. You are I count you amongst them, okay. and the bulk of the internet has no idea who you are and they should, they should know who you are and they should know who my other friends are because not all of them are security. In fact, I would say less than half of my really interesting friends are even in security. They know right. nothing about it. And so I think the problem is the people I know are so fascinating and so weird and they run so much of what we consider to be interesting about the world or, you know, everything from politics or technology or whatever if you're not paying attention to these people or know that they exist, you probably just don't know what's going on. And that's what I, like, I look at my long-term mortality, like I'm getting older, you know, hair's gone. Um, And I am not at all worried about my death. I do not care if I die tomorrow, whatever. You know, I'm not not that stressed about it, but I'm very worried that the knowledge that I have and the people I know will, that connective tissue of what I have learned, will just disappear. Mm. And I have a couple different ways I could have done. I could have written a book. Sure. Um, but then you're taking my word for it. Um, I could, you know, go on speaking circuits, but then, you know, it's, you only get an hour of everyone's time. You're, you're, you're just not going to capture enough. And it's very limited to how big the audience is. Yeah. And you got to find the right audience who actually cares about these things and on and on, there's all these logistic issues and not scalable. So, the only thing I could come up with and what I, what I landed on was a podcast and I'm going to get as many interesting of my friends that I can get on there and talk about the craziest things I can think to talk with them about and just get that connectivity out there so that when I'm long and dead and in the ground, there's still this knowledge, this, this, this important thing has been discussed. Brilliant. And uh, it's funny because I never asked you why you started the podcast. And it's the first time I've actually really asked you the question. And I'm not surprised with the answer at all, actually. <laughs> uh, but I do love it because I think it, it really, you, you nail down um, a legacy, you know, capability here that, and then not, not for ego, uh, to your point, which I think is yeah. an important one here. Uh, that's, that's a, yeah. I want to underscore that because I think you, you're a wealth of knowledge in your own right. And the fact that when you get two people that have a chemistry, 
on a long form communication like this. Because look, man, I was never a big Twitter guy because I just couldn't stand the concept of having to pack in something I need to say in a short, even though it was useful, it, I couldn't get this type of it's advertising. It's advertising. Twitter is if, if you use it as anything other than advertising, you're probably misusing what it was intended for. But, but blogs always seemed like they were better for me, like long form and, and yeah. podcasts are even better, you know, because it's just not me anymore. And you're not having to take my word for it. You're taking an expert and maybe my opinion, but an actual, hopefully they know more than I do. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hope. <laughs> but, but it's that it's that it's that chemistry. It's that that chemical reaction between the two people. That's like people then hear it and they're like, "Oh my gosh, that's true!" Because it gets that validation you're talking about. Our conversation yeah. today, for example, is a good example of that. Where several topics came up, there was a very logical pursuit around. Well, what do you think? And I'm like, "Oh yeah, damn right." I mean, seriously, there's a and lot if, of stuff. And if, yeah. And if we're gonna dice that conversation apart even further, neither of us actually knew where this was going. And when we talked before the show, we didn't even have an agenda at all. We're like, I guess we'll yeah. just go for it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I actually by, like, started to do that by design with these things because when I'm like, I know that'll just manifest the right way. And it has. It's exactly what I was hoping for in this case because each one of these topics have their own tangential – we could have a conversation about that separately. Like, hey, man, remember we talked about that in that first conversation? We got an immense amount of curiosity around this topic. Let's let's di let's dive deeper into it and figure out where this goes. Um, sure. But I'm really glad you said that because I think that this legacy piece is important. And again, I I want you know sort of double down on the fact that it's not for ego because like we said before, I got recording here. I don't even really know how to start to monetize it. I haven't even looked into that part of it because that's not the interest right now. It's more about this mm -hmm. memoir, as you put it. My my podcast mm -hmm. is meant to be a little bit of this kind of interesting biological narrative peppered with conversations with friends that I consider dear and, and interesting to your point. And it lends a wonderful way for there to be this. Um, it's a lesson for people in certain ways. Cause again, we're, we're weird dudes. Like you said, we yeah. know that many yeah. don't, we see things that many can't. Uh, that burden is, is a, is a burden. Uh, sounds mm -hmm. hokey when I say it that way, but this is cathartic for me too. being able to share some of these stories uh, even monologue on this as podcast has been extremely helpful. So, so yeah, the monologues have been interesting, by the way, keep, keep doing that if you can. Well, uh, it's, I think it's good, but the way I've been thinking about this for a long time is there are three groups of people who basically have the same job, criminals, yeah. spooks, and security experts, <laughs> because in all, in all three cases, we work on stuff that no one understands or gets to see we really can't trust anyone with anything. We have to, everything has to be behind a firewall or behind an NDA or, you know, yeah. we have to be really, really careful what we talk about. And therefore even a tiny bit of doubt or a tiny, and you're always looking over your shoulder. There's always someone after you, you know, you're always just trying to survive. Basically it's, it's survival That's and right. it can, it can send you down some pretty gnarly levels of PTSD, um, the levels of PTSD that uh, have been measured across those three groups of people is off the charts, me included. Mm -hmm. um, just because all these crazy things happen and it just, it's additive. It gets very burdensome uh, emotionally. Yeah. <clears throat> so I'm not surprised at all to hear that you feel like it's a weight. Um, and, yeah. and I too feel it. Absolutely. It's a real, real burden. But 
you know, you do it because you have passion for it. You do it because it's interesting and you do it because you're helping people and right. you just kind of power through it. And if you're a criminal, you do it because you want to make more money and you want to provide for your kids. You know, the, the black cats I talk to, it's funny. Like I'll tell them some of the stuff I'm doing and they're like, Oh, I'm so glad you're out there saving all of us. I'm like us, man, you're, right. the, you're the adversary. <laughs> I'm coming after you. Like yeah. not you specifically, but I use what yeah. you tell me to work against people sure. like you, you know? And, uh, so there's a lot of cognitive dissonance there, but you know, everyone has their kids and their pets and you know, the things that they want to do in their life. So. No, it's such a, such a good point. And, you know, it's, it's a good segue to, to this conversation around something that, um, never gets talked about in our world very often. And I was, I was literally having a conversation this morning with someone about this, which is that, um, and I, you know, I'm not going to veer toward anything super deep, like around spirituality or religion, but man, how do you center, you know, I'll, I'll take the quote from bond, which was you, you want me to be half monk, half hitman?" And <laughs> remember that movie, I don't know if you remember it. There yeah. was a very classic yeah. quote. And that's a little bit of what we have to do, you guys like us. Yep. And there's a, there's a balancing balancing act that is ex uniquely hard. How do you do that, man? How do you how do you uh, non non working related? And maybe work is part of that catharsis. But what else do you do as our snake? Um, I read quite a bit about moral philosophy, um, mm. which I think is very useful to understand sort of the trolley problems and human yeah. psychology and and to learn what I think, <clears throat> which sounds very weird, but I, I don't know what I'm thinking. I'm just thinking, and it's kind of just happening. Sure. But yeah. if I slow down and say, why am I feeling this way about this thing? Or why am I thinking this thing? And is this really what's happening? Like, I'll give you an example that uh, an experiment that I do very frequently, actually, I, I don't, I don't do it as much as I used to do it, but, it, but it's a good mental exercise. I'll take some object, looking at my cell phone and then another object, let's say uh, that chair over there or something. Right. Mm -hmm. And I'll say, how are these two things connected? And I don't mean like in the fact that I both own them, like how are, how are they fundamental or, or even something more bizarre, like to even make it harder. Uh, how are, how is uh, the concept of uh, taxation uh, of, of like, uh, the, uh, the top tax bracket, how is that related to cell phones? Right. Mm. And so these two, one is an abstract thought, uh, object or thing or whatever. And one is a concrete thing. And I'll try to force some connectivity in my brain and just work through this very complex, like how might this happen? And, and I, and I often go down rabbit holes and those rabbit holes aren't useful. And I do a bunch of research and I'm like, Oh, yeah. actually taxing is kind of sort of related to people who have cell phones that are taxed at higher rates and people who don't have them since they don't yeah. have cash and somehow they're related and they'll start coming up with this connected tissue. And, and finally, like you'll come up with this kind of unified theory of how they're connected. And it really helps think, make me think about how I think about things and how mm. things are related to one another and how everything is actually related in these weird paths that I just can't see naturally. Like I have to sit down and really focus on it. And I think that that helps not necessarily ground me, but it helps me be acutely aware of who I am. And I, and I never, ever, ever, ever lie to myself. I never say I am this person. Right. Nope. I'm not that person. This is the kind of person I am. This is what I like. This is what I don't like. I know I'm, I shouldn't do this because if I do it, it's going to have a psychological impact on me or it's going to be something I'm uncomfortable with. 
it's funny, like yesterday I was writing down this list of all my hobbies uh, to actually send to somebody I care about so that they, they can sort of jive with our hobbies and see if, you know, yeah. they sort of match up. And, uh, and I realized as I was writing them, like, while some of these things are hobbies, I dislike them quite a bit. Like yeah. I do them, but I really do not enjoy them. So, you know, I'll put that into a thing. Like I am go quite good at this, but it's not something I enjoy. And if, if that, if you can categorize those things in your head, I think you can center yourself quite a bit. No, it's beautiful, beautiful way of managing. And, uh, yeah. Damn you, man. You just made me think about how cell phones are connected to tax. And I, <laughs> I literally was like, yeah, but they are. you know, because I'm like, cell phones give you geolocation. You probably even know the of the phone to know it's an iPhone versus an Android. They're higher wealth brackets, geolocation uh -huh. neighborhoods of higher wealth. You could probably tax them higher. Uh, oh, God. Yeah. Oh, so, and they know what state you're in because, yeah. uh, oh, you're a California resident because you spend more than 51% of your time here. We can ping your cell phone. Yeah. <laughs> so, but I, I love that because it's so funny because it's those mental puzzles that you do to kind of keep yourself. You're not looking to, to remove pressures of your brain. You're actually adding, you're an interesting character that way because you're additive to that. You're not mm -hmm. someone that's saying, I need to go sit with a candle in a dark room. Maybe you do that too. But my point is, no, oh, I do not. That's really fascinating. That's super, super mm -hmm. interesting. Because, you know... I, I, I force more knowledge into my brain whenever possible. And if I ever have downtime, like true, like just I'm exhausted type downtime, yeah. I'm usually trying to watch something that's popular culture so that I can keep up with memes. So that I, yeah. when I appear back online, like I'll have more context. Like everything's for with a purpose. It's it's our snake shark brain. You got to keep moving water through the gills to, mm -hmm. to survive. Mm -hmm. That's fascinating, yeah. dude. Not common. By the way, I don't, I don't know no. that I've ever talked to anyone that really thinks, I shouldn't say think that way, but hasn't used that as a, as, as a method for, because I'm, I'm, it's resonating with me because of what I just said earlier, which is that this is an active effort. This podcasting, literally what you told me made me think about something in a way I hadn't thought about before. And I'm like excited about it because it made me think, oh, cool. I can divert my brain over to this gear, which makes me mm -hmm. feel better. I don't want to shut mm -hmm. it down which is right what now. you find, right? And, and it's ironic yeah. that, that tends to be the overarching strategy for people to disconnect. Now, now, to be clear, I definitely have a drink or two at the end of the night. Cool. So that, so that my, when I'm coming down, yeah. like I'm, I dim all the lights. So I'm yeah. like getting into the ready to go to bed. It's sort of like a, just a rhythm thing of the, yeah. of the day. But yeah. a couple but, of drinks but, helps when I'm watching these memes. I can stay more focused in the memes and I'm not, tempted to pull out my phone and start doing something like, Oh shit, there's work. Like I can focus right. on the downtime, yeah, which isn't really downtime exactly, but you know what I mean? Like not, yeah. not actively working. That's interesting. Well, it makes sense though, because if you, if look, people that have never heard of you or I pre this podcast can probably tell the type of characters we are in independently and, and similarly in a lot of ways, yeah, it's abundantly sure. clear that you, you have the wealth of knowledge that you have because of this, this is something that's actually manifested and it's served you well because dear Lord, dude, the amount of stuff that's sitting in that cranium of yours is insane. I mean, and it's, it's got to get out. It's can't, yeah. I can't keep it in there, man. That's terrible. Yeah. <laughs> if I oh, die, it's all gone. So I'm going to get it out I there know. somehow. You've got to scribe it somehow. And maybe this is the mm -hmm. best possible medium for it because I, it's, uh, it's gotta be, it's gotta yeah. be. Yeah. It's gotta be. It's funny. I was telling someone the other day cause they're like, Oh, you're finally podcasting. And, and I'm like, yeah. I'm, and they're like, did you just learn about it? I'm like, Dude, I remember when pod when the word podcast came out and people thought it was conflated with like Apple's products because of pod. Mm -hmm. And it was mm -hmm. 2013 or 14 or something or whatever. No, yeah. wait, wait, 
earlier than that, probably what, seven, eight or something when it came out, when it was kind of a thing. Yeah. I, I don't know because I didn't really listen to a lot of podcasts back then. I really got right. into them much, much later than everybody else. Mm-hmm. Mostly just working out or driving or whatever. It's just like, I didn't, I didn't like the fact that what I was doing was listening to music because it felt like I wasn't getting anywhere. Right. So I had to find some way to be more productive and I, and I don't want to pull up my cell phone, right? That's dangerous. Yeah. So I, what I try to do is listen to news, but it was way too slanted in one direction and it wasn't right. giving me what I wanted. Um, I listened to NPR for years and I'm just like, ugh, it's not quite what I'm doing, what I'm doing. It's yeah. not, I'm not learning the kinds of things I need to be learning. So switch to podcasts and it's been much, much, much better, much more productive. It has, it has. And I think that's a big reason for why a lot of people have shifted in this direction. I mean, look, we all saw the, the Rogan explosion that happened, you know, a couple of weeks, mm-hmm. months ago, whatever now. Uh, but yeah. I, I gotta say, it's been fascinating to watch this method of communication and transformation of people manifest guys like us popping yeah. into, the, into the ecosystem, which is interesting. What's your prediction for this? Do you think this is going to start going into censorship mode or do you think we're in a, we're in a pretty safe space for a while here? I, I think the, um, immune system of the internet is kicking on again, mm-hmm. it routes around damage and censorship is damage. Yeah. Um, so I think while I think there are many battles to be fought and won and lost on both sides going forward. Right. I think ultimately censorship is a failed model and it only works temporarily. Eventually yeah. the information will get out and it, and unfortunately it gets out in really gross ways sometimes. So yeah. you, you, I learned from this old, uh, this old uh, colleague of mine, she was a ex CIA and she's like, or ex NSA, sorry, ex NSA. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was talking about like, you know, you can't crush the bad guy. You can't just go up and then squish him. Mm-hmm. You have to kind of like, trap him over here like you know he's doing this bad thing here you can't do you can't go after him here you have to get him somewhere else and then he'll be like oh i don't know how they caught me because i wasn't even doing anything they caught me over here like how did they get me over here it's impossible like well they really got you over here and i think this is kind of one of those similar situations where if you censor people you're squishing them where they are and now you're just pushing this material all over the place and now make it way more distributed and difficult to censor but it's also difficult to track, which is one of the reasons I never advocate taking down like terrorists' websites or any of those things because now you know exactly where they're at and they congregate. It makes it much easier to track. And yeah, um, yeah, no, very interesting. Do you see a way for them to start to? I mean, there's always a way. Don't get me wrong, but what do you what do you predict for these becoming for censorship? So I think the way the form it's going to take is the Chinese social credit score. Um, mm. I think I think every country that worth their salt is eyeing that pretty carefully because it's brilliant. Like I thought the Chinese censorship system before was stupid, and I thought they'd continue doing it. Um, no, no, they came up with an entirely other brilliant way to do it. And basically what it comes down to is they know that you are a dissident because you posted something on some social media platform, and then they give you a lower social credit score. And then anyone who's around you is going to be friends with you. They get lower social credit score because they're friends with you. So then they start ostracizing you mm-hmm. and then you don't get a job and then you don't get you know, the ability to travel and you don't get loans and you can't really shop the places you want to shop. Like people don't want you around. Mm -hmm. You basically just die in a gutter. 
Now that works great inside China, but what if they could point that outside of China? What if they could point it everywhere else in the world? So if I outside the country ever say anything negative about China, then everyone inside China is designed to say, well, let's ostracize Robert as much as possible. Oh, and Robert works for a company, get that company ostracized until they fire Robert and on and on and on and on. So even outside of China, this can have really, really intense uh, effects in places you wouldn't expect. And I would not be surprised at all if they weaponized this and turned this on the entire world and uh, said all of the world has a social credit, credit score that is anyone can look up at any time. If that's the case, man, it's pretty pretty easy to implement censorship. You just say whatever yeah. you want. Go ahead. No one will ever see it. No one yeah. wants to talk to you. No one wants to hear your crazy theories. No one wants to talk about the fact that China is currently causing a lot of people to jump to their death because they're you know, right. starving to death because of COVID lockdowns. They don't, you would, you all never hear that. <laughs> and hermetically sealing someone off. It's terrifying, but, but real. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fantastic. It's way better than, it's way better than using the government way cheaper too. Yeah. Just get the citizens to turn on themselves. Oh man. What a, what an incredibly like menacing and ominous concept. Right. But it's, but it's, it's clever. You're right. Absolutely. And it's mm-hmm. something that I do see mm-hmm. manifest. It's manifesting here too. Unfortunately, I think that there's a lot of that brewing in some ways. I would uh, not be surprised at all if some kind, some. It, this really can only happen, I think, well inside the United States. Uh, but yeah. I would not be surprised if we saw something like this in the United States. Maybe you could have it in Canada or one of the South American countries, but yeah. you're not going to see this due to GDPR in the right. European Union. However, there's no reason those other countries can't point it at the European Union. Just say, that's sorry, right. go ahead go ahead and sue us. You're in the wrong country. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Fascinating, man. Well, Arsnake, this has been an incredible ride. Thank you so much for yeah. the time today, man. And absolutely, uh, man. I think this is probably, to be perfectly honest, the first of a number of them because I think there's all these areas that we just frankly got to touch on and we didn't even get to drill down on. But I think let's totally let's agree. Keep- there's plenty more room. My dad had a really great quote many, many moons ago, which is, you know, multiple tangents is a sign of a good friendship. Uh, and I think that's a very accurate like statement. That. Yeah. I like that. But um, hey, well, man. thanks for having me, brother. Oh, it's been my pleasure. And I'll roll up there yeah. and see you in person, man. Hopefully pretty soon. Perfect. <laughs> Looking forward to it. <laughs> All right, brother. We'll talk soon. See ya. Uh-huh. Bye.